0: Welcome to Pod Save the World. I'm Tommy Vitor. I'm Ben Rhodes. Uh, and we are doing a special edition of Pod Save the World for very horrible reasons. Uh, the Russian opposition leader and anti-corruption activist Alexei Navalny uh, has been announced dead at the age of 47. So very, very terrible. Uh, ben, who uh, folks on YouTube will see, is actually calling in from the Munich Security Conference the uh, the beating heart of the blob, Ben. How's it going out there?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, I saw like nine hundred people. that You know, Tommy. Uh, uh, uh but like, let's say it's a, a jam-packed event here. But I will say, like, in a somber thing, I mean, Yulia Navalny is here, uh, his wife, yeah. and so, um, and actually, for people who listen to another Russian, Zhenya Nemsova, whose father Boris Nemtsov was also assassinated by Vladimir Putin, she's here as well. Um, and and so you know that kind of added this poignancy to a conference otherwise it was a lot of people being like anxious about you know Ukraine funding and American politics like it it just kind of drove home that these are really big stakes in the world
0: yeah well said I mean yeah we'll listen to a clip of Yulia Navalny later um and, and I do think I mean the fact that this you know there's debates happening in Congress over Ukraine funding there's the Munich Security Conference happening right now just makes the the timing of this so weird and and poignant uh and we'll we'll get into that as well, but I mean, just the facts at the top here. So, uh, Alexei Navalny died while serving at a, a combined thirty-year prison sentence. Most recently, he was at a penal colony in the Arctic Circle. That's how far away from you know Moscow Putin needed to send him. The Russian uh, Federal Penitentiary Service announced his death in a statement on Friday. Basically, they said he he fell uh, and felt unwell after a walk. Um, Apparently Russian state media is now saying it was a blood clot. Uh, We are obviously skeptical of any explanations about his death, uh, given the history there. Peskov, uh, Putin's spokesman, says Putin was informed. So Navalny's team says they don't have any confirmation uh, about his death. Uh, Navalny's lawyer is traveling to this uh, penal colony in the Arctic Circle. But Russian media says Alexei Navalny's mother said he looked happy and healthy when she saw him on Monday. Um, Navalny addressed uh, a Russian court via video conference on Thursday. He looked fine. He was cracking jokes. So this is all incredibly suspicious. Um, We do know, Ben, that his uh, his terms of his confinement were awful. I mean, I, I heard an interview with Navalny's daughter last year where she said her dad was spending most of his time in solitary confinement. This guy was six foot three and his cell was seven feet by eight feet. He was allowed like one mug, one toothbrush and one book. So horrible circumstances. But we'll get into more about sort of who Navalny is, like his background and his biography. But I just want to throw it to you, Ben, because, you know, I know you spent some time with Alexei Navalny for your book. Um, You knew him as as a person and also as an activist and just wanted to, you know, hear from you like reflections of that relationship and also what else folks need to know about him.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, we should just say that we won't necessarily ever know the exact circumstance. But Vladimir Putin killed Alexei Navalny. Yes, know? and yes. whether he killed him by poisoning him yesterday or whether he killed him by all the times he's poisoned him before and the confinement, either way, Vladimir Putin killed Alexei Navalny, and that's that's full stop. Yeah, I, I we can get into the kind of different nuances and complexity of Navalny. I. I got to know him a bit. You know, I don't know him as well as a lot of people, obviously. I don't overstate it. But I I got to know him a bit, like, FaceTiming uh, during the pandemic uh, when I was writing my book about the rise of authoritarianism. uh, Who better to talk to than Alexei Navalny? Right, yeah. Um, And and just to give you a few glimpses of character, again, before we necessarily get into his politics. Like, first thing he does when he gets on the phone with me is he makes a joke about me. He's like, (laughs) Oh you here to tell me how to do color revolution, American, you know? (laughs) Uh, And he was making fun of the fact that, like, Americans think we know how to, like, promote democracy, and that ends up freaking creating problems for people like Alexei Navalny, you know? And then the second thing he did is he made fun of me for, uh, you know, close (laughs) listeners to the podcast may know I was once spied on by Black Cube, which is a bunch of, like, ex-Massad people that dig up dirt on you and stuff. And uh, that's the second thing he said. He's like, you know, you and me have something in common. Uh, I've been spied on by Black Cube, too, uh big oligarch you know give putin a, a birthday present um hired black cube to dig up all this dirt on me and i was like look guy uh the fsb they have all the dirt like you don't need to hire these guys you know like right and so he That's had this like, like he, he had this incredibly like just direct and very russian like sense of humor you know like dark but like hilarious um
0: and, and he was able to hold on to it in the darkest of circumstances like yeah. literally like video conferencing knowing you're to spend 30 years of your life in a penal colony if you didn't die first he's like cracking jokes as he's zooming into a courtroom and it was like an amazing part of his personality that he was able to you know keep that up throughout you know all that happened to him.
1: It was, you know, it, and that's exactly right. Like, it was central to his ability to go on that he could, like, make fun of this. And again, I think that is a Russian thing. And then the other personal thing I'd say, you know, uh, he said to me, you know, I got to the point of, like, you know, you, you go through someone's journey and how do they get into politics. And his story is pretty interesting. Anti-corruption activist turned blogger, essentially, turned investigative journalist exposing all this corruption. Uh, but then he gets into politics. And, I never really wanted to ask these questions about what's it like to be in prison. And, and, and you feel almost salacious, you know, like what's mm-hmm. – are you scared when you go to jail kind of stuff? And what if he kills you, you know, like because all these questions lurk in the backdrop. And yeah. he said to me, you know, of course uh, you're afraid when you're in prison. And i will never afraid. He said like when the prison door clangs shut, you know they can do anything to you. Um, and this is really Russia. This is mm. you know like ominous. And 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 when he'd said that to me, he'd already been poisoned in prison once, um, and and he said the things that sustained him, and the reason he kept coming back at it, is is number one, he had the support of his family, and he was very clear. He's like, if my wife Yulia didn't support this, I wouldn't do it. Um, this is something we do together. And and I he's like I don't feel alone in prison because I feel like she's there with me because I know she supports my decision to be doing this, which I always thought was an interesting you know window into like you know activists, not, their families sacrifice for them. They have two children. Yeah. Um, but one also Stanford, I think, right? Yeah, one is at Stanford. Um, yeah. Dasha, but 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 also that that's what he's thinking about in prison. Like you know, I I take comfort in that, and and you'll notice if you you know when he was in prison, he would often. His messages were to his wife. But then the other thing he said is what sustained him is rage. And he said, if I ever need an incentive to be in prison, I will just think about what it's like to be in a Russian court and the lies that they tell you. Or I'll think about, you know, the buildings that were knocked down in Moscow by a bunch of gangsters, like stealing money from people when he got into politics. Um, or I'll think about the the lies that Putin tells why he steals. you know, rage – this weird mixture of rage, humor, and family—like, <laughs> like—that's like that's the Alexei Navalny that I met, and it was this kind of very interesting character. Um, and he had this way to cut through bullshit. He's like, you know, you know, the couple of things that I always remember. Like, the thing that stands out to me, uh, uh, he said, you know, Putin doesn't need to convince everybody that he's not a liar or that he's not corrupt. He just has to convince people that everybody is, you know, right. Um, and like and he said. And yeah, and he said, well, he said the same thing is true about global politics. He's like, he has to just convince people that democracy is just as corrupt as the system in Russia. And I remember him saying to me, and look what had happened when Donald Trump gets elected. My whole, He said, my whole life I've been making an argument that in a democracy, that better people rise to the top than our system. And then all of a sudden you guys elect someone <laughs> who's totally corrupt. <laughs> and he was like joking oh, about man. it, you know. But like he had this kind of in, like the way to cut through the bullshit in his analysis of Russian politics. And the, yeah. again, last thing, and I'll shut up. I remember him saying to me, like, I said, well, what would happen if you could run? And he said, the first time I run for president, if they really let me, I'd lose. The second time I'd win. Like he was sure he could win that he could be president of Russia. Like he was certain hmm. of it. There was this kind of fearlessness and certainty of it. And again, I think that's what scared Putin. You know, like that yeah. th- this guy was not afraid of him. He was fucking fearless, unlike Putin, who's like a you know, pussy who like hides in like the hides Kremlin Sochi, and orders yeah. these things. And 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 you know, steals money from people. And and and, you know, it's just a tragedy, like that that someone like that is is lost for having guts, you know. Yeah. You know? But he knew what he was doing when he flew back to Russia after they almost Killed them last time.
0: Yeah. I mean, so just a little more of his backstory. I mean, I think Navalny got into politics around 2008. He became very well known internationally uh, around the 2011 anti government, anti Putin protests. And then he did attempt to run for president in 2018. But to your point, Putin was so scared of him that he barred him for doing so based on some trumped up corruption charges from several years earlier. Um, Navalny was, you're right, I mean, he was a, a, an activist, he was an opposition candidate. But he was also an incredibly powerful messenger and propagandist, really. And I say that as in the most complimentary way. His organization would make these these YouTube videos about the lavish lifestyles of Putin or Dmitry Medvedev, like Putin's inner circle, uh, and the way they were living and literally, in Putin's case, a billion dollar home paid for by corruption. Uh, I think the, the video about Putin's billion-dollar palace in the Black Sea has over 120 million views at this point, so you can tell why Putin saw him as a threat. And you know, to your point, like he was poisoned in prison, and then he was poisoned again in 2020 by some FSB agents who followed him on a business trip to Siberia, uh, poisoned his underwear, and, and miraculously, uh, Navalny survived that, got treatment in Germany, and then came back to Russia, knowing full well he'd be arrested and thrown in jail like this. And uh, in the process, he was so smart that he worked with this organization, Bellingcat, who, which figured out which FSB unit was the one who tried to assassinate him. He called the, one of the guys who was part of the assassination team, pretended to be his boss's boss's boss, and got him to uh, you know detail to Navalny all the ways this assassination team tried to kill him, tried to cover it up, et cetera, et cetera. So just like a, an unbelievably savvy creative guy and and to your point, Ben, like the kind of like wry humor at all, uh, was the through line through everything he did.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's like a, there was a cleverness, right? Like he, um, he told me the story of like how he rose from being this kind of local political operative to being this blogger. And he had a law degree, he had a legal background. And what he did is he bought uh, a really small number of shares in like all the big Russian oil companies, um, and this was a little bit a while ago when there's a little bit more of a legal, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and he used that to sue all of them to reveal like their schemes, you know, and 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 so he he realized that there was this tool he could use to show that they were the the profits that they were making, you know, didn't match up, you know, like basically he was revealing that they were doing right, financial of statements, to, yeah, yeah, they, yeah, there are billions of dollars just to middlemen, and I tell that story because like. He there was just he was always kind of one step ahead in being clever about finding a weakness in the regime, and it was always about corruption. It was always about exposing corruption, and he was sometimes criticized for being a single issue guy who just focused on corruption. But you know he, what he would always say is well the whole thing is corrupt you know so if if we don't get rid of this corrupt system we can't solve the other problems like i'd i'd love to have an agenda about like healthcare and you know uh, foreign policy but before that we have to get rid of these corrupt kleptocrats essentially yeah. you know um and and again that that built this following that he had across russia and it should be clear like i i i've admired boris Nemtsov, for instance the politician i mentioned who was assassinated Navalny was not like a, a a Western liberal. Like, you know, he wasn't right. one of these uh, Russian opposition guys that hangs out a lot in Washington. And and, the, and I admire those guys, by the way. I, I don't mean to demean them. But he was like a pretty hard-ass guy from a military town outside of Moscow. He associated with some Russian nationalists, which we'll probably talk about. Um, but he also, so he reached different audiences. It wasn't like he was just reaching. Yes, sure. Some of it was kind of like these middle class Muscovites who turned up to protest when Putin came back into office and Navalny led that protest movement. Um, but you know, he could also reach into other parts of Russia and he traveled all across the country. Like when he was poisoned, he was in Siberia, you know? Um and, and so this combination of of innovation and and humor and and also just kind of being, you know, a pretty authentic Russian Guy with a very authentic Russian family. Again, that all contributed to the kind of potency of his his uh, his standing.
0: They transport core relief items stored in even the most remote areas of the world. They deploy expert emergency staff trained to help in crisis situations, and they transfer funds directly to support the emergency. Because of generous supporters and donors, UNHCR can scale up its response within 72 hours of a large-scale emergency. Your support helps provide life-saving aid for refugees whenever and wherever emergencies occur. Donate to USA for UNHCR by visiting unrefugees.org slash donation. That's unrefugees.org slash donation. Support for Pod Save the World comes from the International Rescue Committee. The IRC works in more than 50 countries, serving people whose lives have been upended by war, conflict, and natural disasters. In places like Gaza, Ukraine, and Sudan, displaced families are experiencing war, extreme hunger, and life-threatening injuries. In Gaza, ongoing violence, bombardment, and blockade have made survival difficult for families living in damaged buildings and tents. The lack of safe water, medicine, and healthy food contributes to the spread of diseases, and children are especially at risk. That my dollar will go towards helping people. It's not going to go to administrative costs or overhead fees. It's just an incredible group doing great work. I hope you'll consider them. Donate today by visiting rescue.org slash rebuild. That's rescue.org slash rebuild. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Listen, if you're listening to Pod Save the World, you need some therapy. You're watching the events around the world that might freak you out. We've got this election coming down the pike. There's a lot of stuff that people uh, are stressed about, that are anxious about, stuff that makes you lose sleep. And therapy can help. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com/slash/CrookedWorld. Go today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. dot CrookedWorld. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think that nationalism was part of his appeal, part of his ability to reach beyond, as you said, kind of like elite educated circles in Moscow and to sort of like appeal to the common man. To your point about his, his divisiveness in some circles, I mean, I think he was seen as a divisive figure among some of the more liberal opposition in Russia um, because they thought he was more of an attention getter than a politician Like you said earlier, I mean, Navalny admitted he didn't really have policy proposals. He did these, you know, anti-corruption YouTube videos that garnered lots of attention and sort of went after Putin. But that was what he saw as his path to taking down this corrupt regime. Um, There was also some controversy uh, around Navalny in 2021. Amnesty International uh, briefly revoked Navalny's uh, prisoner of conscience status. After some of his old comments resurfaced, including a time when he compared uh, immigrants to cockroaches, obviously, that's like a totally inappropriate, dehumanizing thing to say. Um, But, you know, I think it did sort of speak to the kind of person that Putin saw as a threat and who could appeal politically to uh, Putin voters, for lack of a better word.
1: Yeah, you know, he. He, he, you know, he's been asked about this a lot. And actually people should watch the documentary Navalny and he's asked about this there and he gives like a pretty clear answer. Some of that stuff he's apologized for, like he ended up apologizing for. And, you know, I think he like was a bit more of like a, you know, some of the rough edges may have been smoothed over. But he he defended some of his association with these kind of ultra-nationalist dudes. And, and he makes this point in the documentary and people can judge for themselves. He's like, I'm trying to like, Get rid of this autocrat. Like, I, yeah. anybody that's against Putin, you know, right. and and we can debate that, but put yourself in his shoes, you know. Like, by and large, like the people around Navalny were more liberal, you know, uh, folks who uh, wanted to have democratic values. I think that, you know, if you – in my conversation with Navalny, he just basically talked about, you know, Putin represents not just corruption, but also this kind of Russian czar mindset where we spend money on wars and – Instead of spending—his you know, message to me, Tommy, was basically like, let's stop spending message on wars overseas and start investing money in Russia. You know, let's stop, like, in, in, giving money it's to like the cryptocrats. John Kerry in 2004. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty classic, like, populist message. Yep. Like, democratic principles bring the money home. I don't think he was, like, some uber-nationalist. Even on Ukraine, and I write about this a lot in the book, like, you know, was—he he supported the annexation of Crimea. mm mm-hmm. Now, what he explained to me, his family was half Ukrainian, half Russian, right? One of his parents was Russian, one of his parents was Ukrainian. And he said they used to fight about this all the time. And, you know, his version was like, we should leave Ukraine the hell alone, uh, but give us Crimea, you know. Now, I want to be clear about one thing, though, on this. He, he would not have annexed Crimea, though. You <laughs> know, he would not have invaded Crimea. He would not have invaded— This you know, These are positions he took after the war started— and he was an anti-war, per, like he in prison when he could get him killed. He was uh, protesting the war. He in his whole message to me was what a waste war is, and we shouldn't be doing it. Um, so I think that, that you, I, we shouldn't whitewash the nationalism, but that doesn't make him Putin. I know some people are like, oh, yeah. what's the difference? You know, you put it in context. There's a massive fucking difference. This guy difference. would not have invaded Ukraine. This guy would not be killing people like him in Russia. This guy would not be like, stealing hundreds of billions of dollars and giving it to people with yachts, you know, like, and and so I think that's that's the kind of, you know, y- you can't a- avoid, you know, some of the 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 nationalism in his background and the associations, but you also have to see it in the context of Russia. And I'd put this to people. Russia's not going away. <laughs> it's a huge, important country. Would you rather have, like, a guy like Alexei Navalny running the place or Vladimir Putin,
0: you know? Yeah, I mean, look, we're trying to build a coalition over here, from like Bill Crystal to Bernie Sanders. So we 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 have a we have a piece yeah. of that uh, for coming from our own house here. So Ben, you mentioned that uh, Yulia Navalny, Alexei Navalny's wife, was at the Munich Security Conference. When she heard the news, she actually uh, addressed the group on the main stage. Here's a clip.
2: If this is
0: true,
2: I would like that Putin and all his coterie, Putin's friends his government to know that they will be accountable for what they've done to our
1: country, to my family, and to my
2: husband. They will be liable for that. That day will come very soon. I would like to call upon the global community, everyone in this room, people around the world, so that we would unite together and overcome that evil, overcome the terrible regime that is currently in Russia.
0: We should just say, Ben, that, you know, when when Vladimir Putin uh, had his FSB guys try to assassinate Navalny in 2020, he was asked about it at his, like, yearly press conference. And he didn't He said, yes, basically, he uh, admitted that the FSB had been tailing Navalny, but basically his response was like, look, if we wanted to kill them, they would have finished the job. So, you know, he is a this behavior has been approached with complete impunity by Putin. Um, We'll get into this more with the Biden press conference clips later, but I'm sure there will be efforts by, you know, Western countries to punish Putin and punish Russia for this act. But, you know, if Biden gets into this a bit, I mean, a lot of those steps have already been taken in terms of sanctions, et cetera.
1: Yeah, you know, it's just like, I don't know, I got a little emotional hearing that, because it's just, uh, you, you know, you have to, you're right, like, this is, like, we're not going to, like, sanction Putin to, you know, like, to surrender over the Navalny thing, um, and, you know, we're not going to go to war with Russia over this, right? And and so, at the end of the day, and even the war in Ukraine, like we talked about, is is, you know, there's a stalemate there, but... The question that she raises about accountability, right, is a historical question. You know, Mm -hmm. it's basically like 20 years from now, Vladimir Putin could die in his bed, president of Russia, richest man in the world, right? Or like one way or another, he will have been like hoisted out of there and it will be in disgrace, you know? That's the real accountability. It's not some sanction we put on them, you know? And I think the basic message from the Navalny family is, like, if more people had the guts of Alexei Navalny, like, in every dimension, we don't all have to end up in a Siberian prison. I'm not suggesting we all go to Siberia and get thrown in prison and and killed. But this guy, like, the example of him flying back to Russia after he was poisoned, it's astounding. knowing he'd get arrested when he landed there, yeah. and knowing he'd probably get killed in prison after suffering a lot. Like, think about the kind of asks that we make of ourselves, you know, like, can you— volunteer for a campaign or something, <laughs> you know, like, like like I, like it's just, like, if, if a few more people or, like, you know, some fucking Republicans who are afraid to, like, break with Trump on Ukraine supplemental because like they don't Instagram. get, like, yeah. fucking true social at them, or, you know, or some Russians, by the way, like a bunch of Russian oligarchs who, yeah, like, don't want to give up their yachts um, so they don't want to cross Putin, like, well, this guy gave up his life, okay? Uh, Roman Abramovich. Like, I, so it, the, the, that's the lesson for me from all this, is like if you want to step way, way back, this guy was willing to die for his belief that Vladimir Putin is like a kleptocratic criminal who is like ruining his country. And we can all do a little bit better. <laughs> and, yeah. and if we do, it's more likely that in the whole, not just in the war in Ukraine, but in the kind of whole contest that is happening it's more likely than not that that he will not die in his bed, the richest man in the world and the ruler of Russia.
0: You know, so Ben, I, I think, you know, it just listeners should know that the space for uh, journalism and opposition leaders and critics of Putin was very small before the invasion uh, of Ukraine. And now it's, you know, completely shrunk, if not gone. It is worth also pointing out that Putin was scared of Navalny. I mean, he wouldn't even use his name But now Putin has uh, thrown in jail or killed or forced into exile basically every prominent Russian opposition leader. He's actually targeting Navalny's team as well. Um, They labeled his organization extremist organization. They've been cracking down on Navalny's defense attorneys. You know, you went through some of this earlier, but, you know, Boris Nemtsov was murdered in 2015. Uh, the former oligarch Mikhail Khodorkovsky has been funding opposition leaders, but he's doing it from exile. So, you know, like there is just a, the question of kind of what comes next and who could take the, up the mantle of an Alexei Navalny uh, is a very hard one because there's there's not any obvious answer at the moment.
1: Yeah. I, and I'm going to be clear, like I, I actually don't put it on like, you know, some 20-year-old Russian to, when I say people need to do more and be better, like, I I, I get why like some young Russian isn't like rushing into the street to just get arrested and thrown in prison. But that doesn't mean that there's not things that can be done within Russian society. And that doesn't mean that there aren't things that can be done, like these Russian elites who've, you know, made, they made a deal with like Putin like the Republicans made with Trump like you know 20 years ago they made that deal and they, some of those people have resources and they could be doing things i think the russian diaspora that is left like can can stay politically active i think by the way that you know not that the, again to be very clear these are not us the navalny movement is very much a russian movement so we had to be careful not to turn it into some Western-backed movement. But we can support them. We can, you know, th- th- they—I'll give you one example, Tommy. Like, they were setting up their whole YouTube channels and their whole kind of capacity to broadcast um, when they were exiled and they were having trouble getting on american tech platforms because of sanctions mm-hmm. you know and well we can find a solution to that like yeah. the government can sit down with the tech companies like these kind, there are things that can be done um to make it easier for a russian opposition by both by russians and by outsiders um but there's not another leader of his stature there's not like you know nemsov was a, a popular leader not as popular even as navalny by the end because for a lot of reasons and you know which we go into in another Russia, the podcast that I did, but, like, um, uh, with Jana, his daughter. But the Navalny was, like, a big, you know, the biggest figure by far in the Russian opposition. But I don't know. I think he knew what he was doing, and I think he knew that, like, if he was killed, if he survived, then he could become president. And if he didn't, I think he probably knew that that would, like, instill in a lot of Russians a sense of, like, this is fucked. I
0: mean, it's martyrdom. And, I mean, like, it's an incredibly yeah. powerful
1: thing. And when the moment comes, yeah. and it's come in Russia, man. It came in 1905. It came in 1917. <laughs> like, when the moment comes, people will be fucking pissed because of what he did to Alexei Navalny, and there'll be somebody else who was inspired by him who will become that leader, you know? And meanwhile, he's got an infrastructure that can keep working on this. And, and I think, you know, so it's less like having one person to be the focal point and more just like what he represents won't die with him.
0: Yeah, well said. Um, So President Biden uh, came out pretty quickly to give a statement about Alexei Navalny, and he took some uh, questions from press. Let's hear an excerpt.
2: Reports of his death, if they're true, and I have no reason to believe it or not, Russian authorities are going to tell their own story. But make no mistake, make no mistake, Putin is responsible for Navalny's death. Putin is responsible. What has happened to Navalny is yet more proof of Putin's brutality. No one should be fooled, not in Russia, not at home, not anywhere in the world. Putin does not only target his citizens of other countries, as we've seen in what's going on in Ukraine right now. He also inflicts terrible crimes on his own people. And his people across Russia and around the world are mourning Navalny today because he was so many things that Putin was not. He was brave, he was principled, he was dedicated to building a Russia where the rule of law existed and of where it applied to everybody. Navalny believed in that Russia, that Russia. He knew it was a cause worth fighting for and obviously even dying for. This tragedy reminds us of the stakes of this moment.
0: You know, Ben, I know you haven't had time to watch the whole thing yet because you're in Munich, but it's a very strong statement from Biden. I mean, clearly something, an issue he knows about and is passionate about and someone he's probably spent time with. Biden was also asked directly if uh, the United States views this as an assassination.
2: Sir, first, was this an assassination? The answer is uh, we don't know exactly what happened, but there is no doubt that the death of Navalny was the consequence of something that Putin and and his thugs did.
0: And to be clear, you warned Vladimir Putin when you were in Geneva of devastating consequences if Navalny died in Russian custody. What consequences should he and Russia face?
2: That was three years ago. In the meantime, they faced a hell of a lot of consequences. They've lost and or had wounded over 350,000 Russian soldiers. They've made them a position where they've been subjected to great sanctions across the board and we're contemplating what else could be done. But the what we were talking about at the time there were no actions being taken against russia and that look all this transpired since then
0: so ben i mean i, I you know i thought it was a, a strong statement i'm glad biden came out and took this head on this the day it happened i think uh that answer there that yeah you know, you're right like we may never know exactly what happened to Alexei Navalny, but there is no doubt that this is vladimir putin's fault that, that you know led him to die at age 47 he's not an old man who's just going to Drop dead, and also, you know, I think Biden was kind of trying to temper expectations there by being honest that there's just not a ton more diplomatically that the U.S. can do.
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, the fact that he gave this statement, you know, if there's the U.S. probably fo- like follows this pretty closely, it kind of indicates to me that he's dead. You know, like this yeah. idea of like we're not sure, like I don't think he would have gone out. I don't either. You know, maybe I'm wrong about that, but you know, he, they probably know, and I think he was right to put the responsibility on Putin and. I think the thing I'd say, Tommy, because this whole thing has got me a little reflective and, you know, it's late at night in Munich and I, like, you know, I've been pretty hard on Joe Biden like of late, you know, uh, on Gaza. Um, and, uh, and obviously we're going through the whole stuff about, you know, uh, his age and, you know, people right. want, but you know what? Like, do you want a president? What would Donald Trump say? Like Donald Trump. Like is talking about like you know telling Russia to do whatever the hell it wants. He didn't care in twenty twenty. Like, yeah, D- right. Donald Trump doesn't give a shit about Alexei Navalny. No. D- like th- this is not a joke, people. Like, like th- this is where it ends. Like, Putin got elected in two thousand, and you know, it was a twenty four year journey to like people getting killed in prison like this. Like, I, I don't want to take that chance. No. And so again, like I actually thought about this today. It's like, you know, um, this should drive home the consequences for people. You may not love Joe Biden like you you may have some issues with this policy or but like, <laughs> this is not something to fuck around with, you know, yeah. Because like this is where it ends. This is where this kind of autocracy ends. Like Vladimir Putin sitting in the Kremlin, invading countries and killing people. Like that's where autocracy ends, and that's what Trump represents. Yeah. You know, and 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 like that was I sent you, Tommy, the last exchange I had with Navalny was on text. Was about these people are all the same. You know, um, and again, I'm sure Trump hasn't done the things Putin's done. I'm not suggesting the direct equivalents, but this is not a, something to mess around with. Right. And 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 I think you know that that's something we should remember today
0: yeah listen trump is on the side of the oligarchs not the people fighting them he is on the side of the authoritarians not the people fighting them uh you would like ben in in this speech biden hit congress hard uh for going on vacation for two weeks i didn't realize this congress is in recess for two weeks without you know passing ukraine funding They're just letting it dangle out there uh biden also uses an opportunity to go hard after trump's comments today about you know whether what he would telling Putin that he should uh, invade a NATO country that hadn't spent 2% of GDP on uh, defense. So it was really strong overall. You actually got asked about the anti-satellite capability stories that popped up earlier this week. By the way, if folks want to learn more about that, uh, we did a a YouTube exclusive Pod Save the World interview with an expert named James Acton that's on our Pod Save the World YouTube channel. But yeah, I'm with you, Ben. Like, listen, I've been frustrated with Biden on Gaza. I think almost everybody would agree that he did an incredible job rallying the world in support of Ukraine and deserves a lot of credit for that,
1: yeah, and just as a general matter, we should be on the right side of these things yep, you know? yep. and and these are these are huge fault lines and you know, like the bottom line is, is are you on the right side of this thing? And and the, yeah, the fact that the that these people are hiding – I mean, I'm in Munich, Tommy, and like one of the peop- things people are talking about is like Lindsey Graham used to love to come to this yeah, conference. Yeah, he skipped Every it, right? year, Lindsey Graham. Yeah. He skipped it and went to the border instead, right? But the reason he skipped it is because he's afraid to look these people – not that there's such a bunch of badasses here in Munich, but he's literally afraid to look these people in the face yeah. and explain why he opposes this supplemental. Right. Like, these are a bunch of cowards, coward. you know, who don't stand for anything. And, and the day like today exposes all of that. Yep.
0: All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com, and this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. Uh, so we asked uh, the Discord, the Pod Save the World Discord, for some questions. Uh, they sent in some great ones, per usual. So Spiffy asks, I love the names on these things. Why do you think Putin decided to kill Navalny now? What does he gain from publicizing this right before his re-election? Um, I, I Ben, I'll admit, like I've been wondering this too. I mean, Putin has tried to kill Navalny a couple times. He could have had him killed at any moment. Uh, it is surprising. That in the middle of this big political fight in the U.S. over more Ukraine funding that he would uh, and maybe it wasn't sort of directly in his control. And that's the answer. But for this to happen now seems like the kind of international news story that just might be able to shame a couple Republicans into finding a backbone and breaking with Donald Trump and supporting Ukraine. aid. I mean, it's it seems like the most disadvantageous political moment for for Putin to do this.
1: Yeah, I mean look, there's two but there's it's certainly possible that, you know, Navalny's just been so poisoned over time yeah. and and grinded down that 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 he did have like a blood clot or something, you know, that um again, Putin's still responsible because it's because this man has been pumped with poison and treated like in torture conditions. If he was killed because of timing, um, which we don't know and probably never will, you know, uh I think in general Putin seems to be feeling pretty f- full of himself right now and he's kind of rubbing everybody's face in it you know the the, like the tucker carlson interview and like he he, he's trying to show people in general that he is winning and he's Gonna do whatever he wants. This Munich Security Conference, by the way, which we can make fun of, as because it is kind of like a you know blob reunion. But like he had like a weird fixation on that. Like mm-hmm. he came here and gave a speech once about you know telling everybody to you know uh, where to put it. So maybe it's that I don't know. But what I would say is, as a general matter, the message emanating from Putin and the Kremlin is. I really don't care. I don't care about your sanctions. I don't care about all the aid you've in Ukraine. I don't even care about the hundreds of thousands of Russians who've been killed and wounded here. Like, I'm just going to keep being Putin. And, you know, that's something we need to you know, we need to factor in.
0: Yeah. Hey, congrats again, Tucker Carlson, on your hard-hitting interview uh, where you just yeah. were with... Um, Who we didn't right? ask
1: about Navalny, by nope, the way. Sure didn't. Did not ask about Navalny.
0: Sure didn't. Uh, So two uh, uh, Discord members, Miles and Zach, have similar questions about... You know, it, whether there's anyone in the Russian opposition that could take up the Navalny mantle and sort of lead an opposition party. Um, then it's worth pointing out that there's an opposition figure named Boris Nedirgin who was just barred from running. Um, he tried to challenge that ruling and just yesterday his challenge was, reje- was rejected. Nadirjin isn't a true opposition figure the way Navalny is. He more worked within the system, but he did take an anti-war stance. Uh, I suspect it was popular in in a lot of quarters, uh, especially with people who are sick of seeing their, you know, sons and friends killed in this meaningless war. Uh, but you know, to our point earlier, it's, it's not obvious who, uh, or how you could lead an opposition movement at this moment.
1: Yeah, there's just not, I mean, and he even said, uh, the guy who was disqualified in his interviews. He's like, I'm not as charismatic or popular as Alexei Navalny, but, you know, someone's got to run. You. Know, that was basically his message. And uh, it's just, you know, there are a bunch of people in prison. There are a bunch of people out of the country. Nobody of this stature. Um, There's some movements. The infrastructure, what happens to the infrastructure Navalny built will be interesting. Like, I hope it continues, because it does the service of exposing corruption. But again, I think ultimately... You don't know where it's going to come from. I mean, sure. is it some soldier who returns home who's pissed off about what he was made to do in Ukraine? Is it someone out of the country that organizes? It's probably not the worst thing that you know. It's going to have to kind of organically generate uh, instead of it just being hung on one person. Uh, and 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 but there, there's really not. There's not like some next in line here, I think, to be at the front, front of the Russian opposition. You know, then there are these people like Khodorkovsky and Gary Kasper, these people out of the country, but they're, they're not as tied in to – you know, what's, you know, Navalny had his finger pretty close to the pulse there. Yeah. And so even the prominent exiles, I, I don't think they they had that standard. Yeah. If
0: you're spending more time in like Brookings than like, you know, farms in Siberia, yeah. you probably don't quite have your finger on the pulse. I mean, it also is interesting, Ben, that we're about to be at the two year anniversary of the full scale invasion of Ukraine. I say full scale because Ukrainians will always remind you that the Russians started invading Ukraine in 2014 with Crimea and then at the Donbass, et cetera. Um, but a couple of folks asked, you know, do you think Congress will see this? as incentive to continue supporting Ukraine, do you think any Republicans will kind of back off their pro Putin, pro autocrat rhetoric as public outrage grows over uh, his death? Um, That's a really great question of sort of how this will break politically, Ben, because, you know, again, Navalny was poisoned in 2020 when when Trump was in charge. I think he viewed kind of any debate about whether or not he should be critical of Putin as an affront to him personally in some sort of tacit, you know, suggestion that he got help in the election or whatever. It's just like it all got tied up in his narcissism. But I mean, I'm curious what your take is on whether this is the kind of thing that could break through politically.
1: Oh man, I wish it were, but I don't think so, right? You know, I mean, and you you probably have better sense this than me, Tommy. Like, I, I just, it feels like the reasons, you know, it's appealing to the conscience of, of these Republicans. Uh, where has that kind of gotten yeah. us? Um, I mean, I, I do think what it will do, I think, is energize—it might energize Europe a little bit more. I mean, it, it kind of just reinforces the depths of what we're dealing with in Putin. Mm-hmm. And so I think it can only help, uh, you know, in terms of, like, what more support can be provided by Europe, what more, you know, can we get some more people in Congress to— the people that are invested in the in, in the supplemental maybe will feel energized— to put more pressure on people, you know? Um, I just don't know whether it's going to move like a callous, self-interested, scared politician like Lindsey Graham. Yeah,
0: so uh, Alona just sent around to our Slack uh, Speaker Johnson's statement on Navalny's death. I'll skip the first two paragraphs, which are not totally germane to this, but it said that he says, in the coming days as international leaders are meeting in Munich, we must be clear that Putin will be met with united opposition as Congress debates the best path forward to support Ukraine, comma, the United States and our partners must be using every means available to cut off Putin's ability to fund his unprovoked war in Ukraine and aggression against the Baltic states. So, I mean, at face value, you read that and think like, okay, so you're going to put the thing on the floor and vote on it, right? But I still worry this coward thinks he's going to lose his speakership if he supports Ukraine.
1: Yeah, I mean, I hope so. Like, I hope I'm wrong. And and like, you know, there's a big rally and like a Navalny effect. And, And what's so crazy about that statement is it kind of seems to allude to sanctions. Like, the sanctions are, they're not working, people. Like, I, I hate to tell you, yeah. like, they're, they're, they worked a bit, you know, like they took some money away from the Russian government and the Russian oligarchs, but they have all these workarounds. And so that's like a, you know, sitting in Washington, you know, demanding more sanctions. Like, it's, that's not going to be the thing that works here, yeah. you know. Um. So that that feels like a, the fact that he didn't direct it to the, and we're going to pass funding to support Ukraine. But he directed it to kind of holding them accountable and blah, blah, blah. Like, again, I hope that it means that they'll act, but I'm, I'm, I'm not that yeah, optimistic. I'm with you there.
0: Uh, final question is from Exploding Gopher, maybe a Minnesotan,
1: hopefully. <laughs> or, or caddy shack. Or Caddyshack,
0: even better. Will the U.S. have any response other than Biden making a statement? What can the U.S. or the international community do? I mean, I think the debate we're talking about right now over Ukraine funding in Congress is obviously... The most important thing. I do think your point is well taken, Ben. That this could motivate or inspire uh, folks in European capitals to dig deeper and do more. I really, I mean, look. Rhetorical. Biden's statement rhetorically was great. Maybe he'll give a big speech about democracy versus autocracy. Maybe he'll make it part of the State of the Union, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. You could imagine a a big Navalny section there and a, a messaging effort around it. Um, clearly, they they the White House think this. Fight over NATO with Trump is politically advantageous for them, but I don't know. I mean, you could also just imagine a scenario where Trump just fucking tweets something terrible and steps in it and creates problems for himself. So,
1: yeah, I mean, you know, there's in addition to the things we talked about, right? Like there's Ukraine support. There's potentially the kinds of support for uh, the Russian opposition that not not to co-opt them, but to just kind of like help them platform. But then there's like you know the kind of stuff Navalny did, like revealing corruption. You know, I always thought the U.S. government could do more. Yeah. Of that. Like, why couldn't the U.S. government make the the video about Putin's house? That's you a good know? point. Like, like in in a weird way, we can learn from Navalny and like, you know, this. if Putin feels so vulnerable by this stuff. Like, well, why why are we doing it? You know, and and not in like a covert way. Like in an, like, why not just say like, you know what? Like you ever, we know this about you guys, and you have a right to know about it. You know, um. So that's another thing. You can also not let the memory die. Like Putin's going to try to like erase this guy you know like i think it's important to like remind people that this happened and remind people that's why you know we try to remind people like boris demsov getting killed in front of the kremlin um i think you can demand actually i think it's useful to demand international investigations because they can become pains in the ass you know like like you open up all these investigations this is what jana nemsova did with her dad like the european court of justice and all these other people are like investigating yeah, for the rest of time, like, there should be investigations into how Navalny died to get at Yulia's point so that, like, you know, one day, maybe, you know, 10 years from now, actually, like, there's a bunch of people that go to prison for that. So so there's stuff that can be done. We just shouldn't think that there's some lever that we can pull and change Putin right yeah, now. Yeah, that's right. You know, it is. You know, no,
0: I, I think your point about emulating Navalny and his organization and using the billions and billions of dollars invested in the U.S. intelligence community to surface, you know, the next billion dollar palace owned by Putin and, and, you know, release it to the world is a great idea. I mean, I think and and this is actually, you know, an area where the administration has done a lot of work right in advance of the yeah. Russian invasion. They were declassifying all kinds of intelligence. Jake Sullivan was talking about this uh, from the podium a couple of days ago. They're incredibly proud of what they think is a a, a novel and uh, clever approach to using intelligence. I agree with them and I, I think your idea is a good one in a way they could build on it. Um, Ben, before and
1: one last thing on that, Tommy is like uh, a good legacy is to go after kleptocracy yes. even harder, you know, like go after the oligarch, like give, you know, accelerate the process of giving that money to the Ukrainians, like, you know, uh, th- th- do the things that he stood for that were right. Yeah.
0: Paging, uh, uh, folks in London, you know, we're looking at you there to crack down some of these kleptocrats. Um, I, I did notice Ben that, uh, friend of the pod, Max Seddon, great journalist, uh, who's covered Russia for a long time said that Russians in Moscow are lining up to lay flowers in memory of Navalny at a memorial to gulag victims outside of FSB headquarters. Um, that's pretty brave, uh, given you know the likelihood that those people will now be monitored forever or cracked down on. Um, it sounds like police have detained several people uh, at, at makeshift memorials in Moscow. Um, some of our people are chanting and throwing snowballs at them and shouting shame. So there are you know clearly in these initial hours, some Russians who are doing very brave things and who are incredibly upset and angry about, you know, this brazen assassination of a of a political figure.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you said that because it'll be interesting to see what kind of protests there are. We shouldn't expect that they're going to like topple the government, but like, I think you'll see those kinds of demonstrations. And I think what we should say, Tommy, is like, yeah, look, I, you know, I talked about like, you know, a few communications of the guy, like th- this guy meant a lot to a lot of Russians. Yeah. And I feel really bad today for, obviously, first and foremost, his family, but, like, you know, what if you're just some young person that really looked up to the Navalny and you're living in, you know, not even Moscow, you're living, you know, in Vladivostok or wherever, how you must be feeling now? Must You must just feel like... All is lost, you know, like that they've taken away everything now. They've taken away this guy that was the guy that made you feel strong. And, and again, I hope in that kind of, you know, Russian way that, that that isn't channeled to giving up. It's kind of channeled into like, well, you know what? Like, um, you know, we're going to remember how this feels. And when we have a, an opening, you know, we're, we're going to take it, you know, but I, I think we should, I feel bad. I, I just can't imagine how how that feels to be like a Russian who wishes it was Yeah. And, you know, you're,
0: you're looking around you and, you know, the economy has been wrecked by the invasion of Ukraine and international sanctions. I mean, the whole economy now is basically a war economy. Every male under a certain age is being dragged into conscription from parts of the country. So, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, desperate times like that, you know, oppression uh, can lead to uh, some incredibly brave and bold reactions. And especially when you're inspired by someone like Navalny, I think your point earlier is like, yeah, we probably shouldn't be looking to like a Gary Kasparov to, and expect that type of person to lead the next revolution, right? In Tunisia, it was a, a fruit vendor who just felt so demoralized and disrespected by the government that he lit himself on fire and it sparked off the entire Arab spring. And so, you know, those are the kinds of things that no one will ever be able to predict. Not us, not the intelligence community, not anybody. It will come That's from some right. Uh, grassroots that's uh, right. frustration,
1: and it won't be because of some like sanction that we <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You know, like like that's the thing. It'll be because of what Russia
0: the 400th doing. sanction on you know foreign assets yeah, that yeah. no longer exist. Yeah. Um, well, listen, Ben, it's super late there uh, in Munich. I'm super grateful that you are uh, uh, willing to get on the phone and talk now. Any any final thoughts before we wrap it up?
1: No, I I just it. Um, yeah, I'm sorry if I'm I, I, you know drone on because I was tired. I I guess you know my my. My last thought was it was interesting talking to Navalny in the pandemic when, you know, he he was home with his family and, you know, he's about my age. And, and this guy, like, you know, he's a charismatic guy. Mm-hmm. Like, he could have moved to the West and, you know, been some celebrity – exile yeah, really. guy. And, and again, that, that's not to, to criticize, you know, I, I think there's a very good place for celebrity exile people. He could have done all kinds of things. He, you know, um, it, it's pretty extraordinary that, um, you know, his decision, if you watch that Navalny documentary, it shows the flight into Moscow where he knows what's going to happen when he lands. And he's on this plane and everybody's gawking at him. And he's, he's literally playing like Call of Duty or something. He's just clearly trying to zone out, you know, And, but he's looking out the window, he he wanted to be in Russia, he wanted to die in Russia, and he wanted to to be on Russian soil. And there's something really powerful about that. And like, that's part of Russian history, too. Like, like, a lot of people went to the gulags and, uh, you know, uh, everybody did a turn in Siberia and like, not everybody got out, you know, and, and I think we just have to remember this this is not just like some icon, this is like a human being. I saw like our friend of the pod, Bobby Wine, post mm. about this. You know, like yeah. that that kind of gut that kind of guts gives other people courage. Yeah. And and I don't think we should let the message be that it's not worth it. I think the message should be people will not ever forget that and that other people are gonna step up in their own ways and their own countries because we can't let this win. We cannot let this kind of thuggish, kleptocratic, self-interested authoritarianism that tries to grind you down and make you think that nothing matters, nothing can ever change. And that's what Vladimir Putin wants you to think by killing Alexei Navalny. And I think Navalny, what he wants us to think by flying back to Russia is think that no, it can change, but only if if people are willing to stand up yeah. to it. And 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 that that's what we
0: should Absolutely. take. Absolutely. And you know what, Vladimir Putin, you uh you might have killed the guy, but you'd also immortalized him. You know, I, I think he's someone yeah, who's a historic true. figure now who will be in every history book, every textbook, uh, going forward. Even if you try to erase them, you're going to die too, buddy. Well, Ben, uh, thanks again for doing this. Uh, very, very sad day, but, uh, good to talk with you about it. it makes me feel a little, you know,
1: a little more hopeful. Yeah. You too, man.
0: If you want to get ad-free episodes, exclusive content, and more, consider joining our Friends of the Pod subscription community at crooked.com friends. Don't forget to follow Crooked Media on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter for more original content, host takeovers, and other community events. Plus, find Pod Save the World on YouTube for access to full episodes, bonus content, and more. And if you're as opinionated as us, consider dropping a review. Pod Save the World is a Crooked Media production. Our executive producers are me, Tommy Vitor, Ben Rhodes, and Reed Churlin. Our producer is Alona Minkowski and associate producer is Ashley Mizuo. It's mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick, audio support by Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis. Our studio technician is David Tolles. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Phoebe Bradford, who upload our episodes and videos to youtube.com slash podsave the world.